0: And welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell.
1: My name's Nick. Ryan was injured in a lightsaber duel,
0: and he couldn't make it this week. He died in a tragic gasoline fight accident <laughs> after having a, an orange mocha frappuccino. <laughs> um, Either that or the lightsaber. <sighs> Accident. You decide. Either way. Either way. Either way is fine. He ignited a lightsaber near uh, a <laughs> <laughs> near a group of male models having a gasoline fight while he was getting gas for his car. It happens all the time, you know. <laughs> People just don't talk about it enough. I, I think that's just sad. <laughs> today we are joined by a special guest. We're talking about, among other things, something that uh, came out today at the time of this recording. Our guest is author Amy Ratcliffe. Hello. Hi, Amy.
2: Hi. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Thanks for doing it. Thanks for being here.
1: Very excited. I've been a fan and a reader of a couple of your books, so it'll be cool to get to know you a little bit and go over those books and hopefully turn on some of our uh, fans to some of your writings. Yeah. I
2: love it. And I mostly know you just from um, Twitter, Nick. Yeah. So it's exciting to see your face. I'm
1: famous on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> also
0: known as I'm on Twitter. <laughs> Amy has um, written quite a bit of stuff for Star Wars, including a few books, quite a bit for Star Wars Insider, the official Star Wars magazine, StarWars.com. And you're just, you're all up in the universe. So many cool things.
2: I just, I really like Star Wars a little bit.
0: (laughs) So do we. It's weird.
2: What a coincidence. Yeah.
1: Formerly you podcasted yourself, right? The ultimate sign.
2: Yeah. I had a couple of Star Wars podcasts.
0: So let's let's do Stolen Plans. Yeah. We'll we'll it. give kind of your credits and we'll end it with the book that drops today and we'll talk about that.
2: What have you done with those plans?
0: Amy Ratcliffe, author, writer, blogger
2: also? Yeah, you would say blogger. Yeah. Definitely started that way. Hmm. So, yeah.
0: Like I said, Star Wars Insider, a dozen or so bits in Star Wars Insider Magazine, a bunch on StarWars.com. She also wrote, I say she like you're not just looking at me right now, but you are. <laughs> right now. A a book called uh, Star Wars Women of the Galaxy, Star Wars Jedi Mind, Peace, Knowledge, Harmony, and Other Lessons of the Force.
2: Such a long title. (laughs) It's
0: it's a lot of words and it's so good, which is kind of about mindfulness for, is it kind of an all ages book or is it meant for younger folks?
2: Definitely uh, all ages.
0: Yeah. I browsed it a bit and it's awesome. I hope it's all ages because I read it and I love it. Also a short story called Heroes of the Rebellion from the, from a certain point of view, the Empire Strikes Back, uh, 40th anniversary collection of short stories, which is so cool and has added so much and filled in so many blanks. I'm just obsessed with it. I'm so glad that they did this. It's amazing. And, um, your story, well, maybe we'll talk about it briefly, but it's, I haven't read it, but from what I've read of it, it's definitely a unique idea. I don't know. It's just really interesting and cool. So. We'll talk about that. There's a book called Ellie and Me, which is a children's book, Galaxy's Edge children's book. And today, at the time of this recording, the release of The Art of Star Wars, Galaxy's Edge has happened.
2: (laughs) Yay, it's finally here. It's real.
0: Congratulations.
2: (laughs) Thank you. It's a
0: release day for you.
1: I was thinking about this while I was driving today because a release day for a record or whatever is just like... I'll sit on Twitter and Instagram and, like, see what people think. Are you doing kind of the same thing, seeing, like, feedback come in?
2: Yeah, and it's always in the past I've had, you know, release days, and I'm always like, you just get caught up on, like, people are really kind on Twitter maybe they've got their books and they're sharing pictures, they're tagging you on Instagram, and I'm always like, I should really take the day off work because I yeah. have a 9 to 5, and then I just get very... Mm -hmm. Distracted all day. And I never remember that when the release day rolls around. So I was like, well, today was perhaps not my most productive day at (laughs) Nerdist. But I do because I'm like, oh, how many, what what were people saying? I won't read reviews because I can't go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. I like myself and I, yep, most of the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. and I don't want to change that, so
1: yeah,
2: but it is fun to see people like get their copies of the books and sometimes they like share memories or like with my past books. They're like, This is me reading it to my kid, and my kid really likes it. And it's like, You're doing that on the first day, it's very sweet,
0: <laughs> so sweet. So, you write for Nerdist as well?
2: Yeah, I'm a managing editor for Nerdist, I've been with them for a while.
0: So, you're a busy person,
2: I Yes. <laughs> but, but the people are like, do you sleep? And I'm like, I definitely sleep. I definitely rest. I've played so many hours of Stardew Valley recently that it that looks like that's all I do all day. It's good. But yeah, I definitely, I always try to have multiple things going.
0: Yeah. So everything I've ever heard about writing a book is kind of like, it's the most fulfilling thing that I could have chosen to do with my life. And I hate it, <laughs> but I love it, but I hate it.
2: That is... Uh-huh. That. So,
0: so that (laughs) while having a full-time job being a, you know, a managing editor at a largely successful, a very well-known, and I'm sure very busy website, just like empire that Nerdist is, how how the hell did you, how do you make books happen with that?
2: (laughs) How do I make, so I really, um, something I'm good at, which I don't usually, I'm like, I'm good at this thing. I'm good at boundaries. Yeah. So with my, day job at Nerdist, which I love. And I work with incredible folks. I'm very like, I am done at this time. I don't check Slack. I don't check email. I don't like try to not look at entertainment news when I'm not at work. Cause it's just, we'll pull you in and you'd be like, Oh, we should write that up. And I'm the only one available. Let's not, <laughs> let's, let's not, cause I always like to say like our jobs are valuable. We, we do cool stuff. We hopefully bring some joy into the world, but it's not urgent. Yeah. Right at all, (laughs) Um, (laughs) even a little. So that helps a lot. And then it's kind of just figuring out how I can trick my brain into like when it's like knowing when I'm the most creative. For a long time, I I wrote best early in the morning. So I would get up, you know, at 5 or 6 a.m. before work. That's what I did with Women of the Galaxy and wrote a couple hours before work every day and like chipped away. And recently, though, in the past year, it's been I don't write well. I, I work on Pacific hours on the East Coast, so it's like a weird, like, 1130 to 730 schedule. This is very granular, and I apologize.
0: <laughs> no, this is so interesting to I make. love it.
2: So I don't really, like, I use the morning for, like, other things, like meditating or, or doing ring fit. And then at 730 at night, I'm like, I just want to make dinner and have a whiskey and watch <laughs> yeah. something and go to bed. Yeah. So now it's weekends. So I will just sit down and like treat weekends like a, a work day, but for writing. And we'll sit down eight or nine in the morning, put on some excellent scores, usually the same ones on repeat, because that's how I <laughs> that's how I go in cycles and write. And I try to write an hour-long sprints, take a 15-minute break, rinse and repeat until the book is done. And then you're like at the end of it, you're like, Am I done with this? <laughs> I'm so tired of this <laughs> book. I just want to be finished. And the whole way throughout, by the way, is just me complaining to my husband, like, I hate writing. Why did I, t- why did I choose this as a profession? And then when it's done, I'm like, but look, I made a book. Isn't it so great? And he's like, do you remember the time <laughs> yeah. you cried? Yeah. Like, it's
1: a lot, definitely a lot of parallels. Cause I feel like, you know, the, the creative process has a lot of parallels to it. Cause I, obviously when you're talking now, I'm just like, yeah, I hate being in a band and I hate writing music, but also it's what I've dedicated my life to and I absolutely love it so it's like (laughs) hey I'm complex all right I love it and I hate it at the same time Um, you got players yeah yeah but I really do feel like I'm so stubborn when it comes to myself and scheduling myself where like I know that I need to stay on a schedule and be like do this for an hour do this for 30 minutes and you're fine but I just won't do it because I'm stubborn and I'm just like free-flowing and stuff obviously slips through the cracks then (laughs) It's, 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 it's a weird life. I mean, Adam, you, you have a, a more of a, a scheduled job now, but like, it's a weird life. I've been in music and in bands since I was 17. I've never really had a schedule. So I crave it, but I also, like I said, I'm stubborn and slightly lazy. So I just don't do it.
0: But when I do it, it really works. <laughs> I am, God, I'm the worst. I, Amy, the, the schedule that you described. I've heard that before. I've read it on my, my attempts to fix my ADHD. I've read all about developing these habits and how to beat procrastination. And I just cannot do it. I'm the worst. I'm like, I'm so slow at getting started with something. And I don't know if it's just because it's built into me. I'm just was born as an ADHD type or if it's because I did nothing but play music for a long time and I didn't have to develop those skills early as an adult. So even now going to work, clocking in, I'm always like running to clock it at the last second. And like Drew, uh, producer Drew, who's on right now, like we used to work together. He saw me like just r- sprinting to the damn thing to clock in. <laughs> and with editing here, especially like this podcast, I'm so slow in the morning and I'm like, oh God, I don't, I just, I don't even want to get started. But the when it's done, I'm like, I'll be texting these dudes with one eye open at the end of the night, like. Guys, I love Star Wars. Yeah. I've been editing for so long, but I just love you guys, and I love Star Wars. I'm so happy. It's, it's the same thing. It's just— But
2: the during, you're like, oh, it's the worst. Yeah.
0: The sprints thing def- definitely does work, though. Yeah.
2: I like those, and I'm a procrastinator, too. Like, uh, not with Star Wars books. They usually, like, do yesterday. <laughs> but with another book, like, I've had a long lead time, and like, y- yeah, I will wait till the last—you mo- month. need 30,000 words in a month. I did this to myself. I could have written it yeah. over a year. Yeah. So I get— a- but I know that's how I work now, at least. I'm like, okay, that's what it is.
0: There's just something about pressure that just brings out the best. you either, either,
2: have to do it. Yeah.
0: Either it's spontaneous and yeah. like you, you feel something in the moment and it just all, like the floodgates open or you need the pressure. There's no, okay, today I'm going to write the best thing I've ever written. Yeah. It just <laughs> it doesn't work. When, you, uh, when it comes to specifically
1: Star Wars stuff, do you get approached to write something or do you come up with an idea and like pitch it kind of?
2: So far, I've been approached, which has been wonderful. I know it can be tricky to have Lucasfilm approve ideas. Yeah. Like they, they have such a like full, I think, slate of ideas and publishing ideas they want to do that they generally okay. We want like at least like a nonfiction here, maybe a fiction here. But I will say with Jedi Mind in particular, that did come from. The editor that I worked with, I also worked with a, a woman of the Galaxy, and we really just wanted to work together again. Mm-hmm. So we did come up with that idea together, and he took it to Lucasfilm. Oh, nice. So I guess we kind of did propose an idea, and I completely forgot about it because <laughs> my memory is like a sieve, and <laughs> that was two years ago. But generally, they kind of... You know, I've been fortunate to work with them for Star Wars Insider and StarWars.com and just have a good relationship. So they'll come and be like, hey, do you want to write the Star Wars book? And pretty much the answer is always going to be, yeah, I want to, of course I want to write a Star Wars book. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
0: Is there anything, I've I've thought about this for a long time. I especially thought about it when J.J. Abrams was announced as the director of the first new Star Wars film in however many years it was, where you love something so much that you're afraid that if you get too close to it, you'll kind of demystify getting behind the curtain, kind of puts you in a different place where your experience is different. Is it to that level with you? Or are you still kind of on the fringes enough of the primary stories that nothing is sort of ruined or uh, demystified?
2: I'll say with my writing work, I feel like I'm enough on the outside that I'm like, oh, I get like to dive into this world and dig into lore and bug Mad Martin with questions, but I'm not like in it. Yeah. Um, I did, however, work for a brief time for Disney At Yellow Shoes as their Star Wars brand manager, where I basically, that's their in-house ad agency, and they were marketing for Galaxy's Edge, and they basically wanted an in-house Star Wars nerd to kind of liaison with Lucasfilm and and Walt Disney Imagineering, and that was to, like, I don't want to know, I hate this term, and I'm sorry, but, like, I don't want to know how the sausage is made (laughs) to this degree, like and it was a project hire so it kind of was built to be a certain amount of time but that was like too much. Yeah. No, I don't want to be in it at this level. I would like to go back to writing books now. Okay, bye. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I obviously the example I made is like at the highest level of that but I I just I imagine J.J. Abrams having this conflict like okay, do I do this and just completely get on the inside and demystify the whole thing for myself or Do I just let some other ass bag do it and maybe mess it up? You know.
2: Then you're, uh, yeah. You're like, I didn't touch it.
0: Yeah, but then it's like, what if the other person that does it just totally blows it? And you're like, God, I should have just done it. You know, I could have done
2: something really cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I definitely felt like that writing fiction for Star Wars Mm -hmm. when I wrote that short story because that was really. I wrote a kid's picture book, not the same as a short story. Empire is my favorite movie, and so it was a lot of. I'm like. Oh, this could be really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: So on that specifically, I had a question. You wrote the short story. How closely in this case, this is, I mean, you're dealing directly with canon. So how closely do you work with Lucasfilm story group on something like that versus Jedi mind? You're kind of interpreting things about the force, but you're not, you pulled a lot of quotes and things. And it was really about interpreting those quotes for mindfulness. What's the kind of balance there? Pardon the pun.
2: No, that's a good, um, well, um, I'm sure I will make a forced pun at some point. So, uh, no, that's a good distinction that you mentioned, because when I write, you know, nonfiction, Star Wars, so to speak, versus fiction, like the notes I get are different. And almost in all cases, they go through whichever editor I'm working with. So depending on the publisher I work, I tend to work directly with an editor at the publisher, who then kind of is the send stuff off to Lucasfilm story group, and usually look the swamp PR, sometimes if it's nonfiction, who knows who else. Yeah. And so I get it back. When I get the document back, I see story groups, notes on whatever it is. And with a short story, it was a lot of, you know, my, my particular story is set on Hoth, which means I had to be very careful about winding around everything we see on screen right. and making sure... Like there was a lot of discussion. My characters, like a propagandist, for example, and there was a lot of there were a lot of notes about would the rebellion really let her go to the secret base if it's yeah. super top secret? And it's like to think about those kind of things, and also like with the double check, like, hey, like I need a character here. I totally made up this name. If you want to use someone else, that's fine. And versus like on nonfiction, where it'll be there's still some of you know kind of basic fact checking. Yeah, yeah, but. Largely, it's the comments are more, I guess, thematic or general versus yeah, yeah, yeah. this character. Like, I wrote a Han Solo line. Well, actually, my husband gave me the idea for it in the fiction story, which is great. And when you get a note, there's like, oh, this is perfect Han oh, yeah. from Lucasfilm <laughs> Publishing. Like,
0: that's like,
2: okay, That I mean, I didn't write the line, but still pretty <laughs> still, cool.
1: Yeah. Did you consider retiring after that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I should have.
1: Um, You mentioned Matt. I skate with Matt all the time. We we play hockey and and hang. He's the best. I met him a couple of years ago.
2: He is so kind. And I'm going to gush about Matt Martin for a little bit because way back in 2012, I think it was at Celebration Six. Anyway, Matt is the one who got me hooked up with writing for StarWars.com because when oh, he nice. used to be on that side of things, at <laughs> Lucasfilm, you know, now he's fancy creative executive. Um, <laughs> he's still really awesome. He helped me get my job at Disney too. But Matt's just always been really supportive and very cool and yeah. also lets me bug him with <laughs> canon questions that don't, I'm <laughs> like, I'm just going to DM you or yeah. email you instead of emailing the person who's then going to forward it to you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <Right.
1: laughs> Yeah, I'll, we've, you know, the last month or so we've, I've gone up to Burbank to him and AJ and my girlfriend will just skate and play hockey a little bit. And a couple of times during a pandemic, we had movie night in our other buddy's uh, backyard, but it's just, it's good. Cause I ne- I don't want to be probably what he gets all the time from other people. Like I don't want to, I almost to a fault, don't ask him about Star Wars. You know, because yeah. <laughs> I'm just like I get that. Yeah, I, I let him if he wants to talk about something. He could talk about something, but I, I'm not going to ask a question that I know he's just gonna be like. I
0: can't talk about that. You know, like I'm not yeah. gonna be that type of person.
2: <laughs> I, I think that's good,
0: <laughs> dude. Even if I'm the kind of person, Nick, I, we've never really talked in detail. You, you don't care as much about spoilers, but I'm the kind of person where if I did have a friend that was that much on the inside, I would almost. Just keep my distance for whatever time they were working on something important. Like,
2: <laughs> like I can't yeah. control myself. The idea
0: of actually getting a, getting a spoiler, I just don't, uh, yeah. I'm so scared to ruin the experience, you know? Yeah. I have a certain level that I'm okay
1: with, you know? Like, there was yeah. one podcast that was uh, pre-Rise of Skywalker that I was listening to that was getting some, whether they were real or not, they started to get a little, like, leaky- And I was just like, all right, I'm out. I don't want to know. Like, I'm okay with knowing, like, a character's in it or not, but I don't want to know, like, plot and stuff like that. No way. No way.
2: Well, like, it's hard. The occasions, like, for Women of the Galaxy, I wrote that before Solo, a Star Wars story came out. So I had to wait till I saw the film to finish it. But six months before that, they gave me, like, a walkthrough. And they Mm -hmm. didn't tell me, like, the big ending or anything, but there was enough in there. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to talk about Solo until (laughs) May because I don't want to accidentally – Yeah. Yeah. Say something I'm not supposed to.
0: (laughs) Dude. So that, that's an example of like being on the inside that I, if given the opportunity, I don't think I could mess with, like even knowing the outline of a film, I don't think I could handle that.
2: The burden of knowledge, like how, (laughs) how the Matt Martins and the mini I mean, I know that's their job, but like (laughs) <laughs> having to carry so many secrets.
0: Yeah. And also just, you know, it changes the experience. And that's kind of the, the biggest thing for me, at least. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty quiet. I think I could do it.
1: I think I could yeah. be the secret guy. I think I could keep secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So let's talk a little bit more in depth about your new book, which came out today. Like we said, it's The Art of Galaxy's Edge. I haven't seen it yet because obviously it just came out. How much writing and what type of writing and what's the experience like as a writer do you do for essentially like a picture book with, I assume, some history and some backstory? What's it like?
2: Yeah, basically, I was, it was stressful, first of all, because... You know, it's published by Abrams Books, the same folks that do the books for the films. It's designed to match the film books. And Phil Shostak, who works at Lucasfilm and the art department and is amazing, has wrote most of those. Uh, So I felt like I'm like, oh, I have shoes to fill. Yeah. And it is that, like, as a writer, something I struggled with with this book is I, like, I want to get into everything. So it was hard for me to rein back from, like, okay, this is not a full making-up book. Yeah. It is. It's about the art. But I very, like, throughout, I was like, is there enough text in this? And my editor's like, you're you're fine. It's an (laughs) art book. I'm like, but it feels like there should be more. Yeah. Which is why I conducted, like... Somewhere between 20 and 25 interviews, 20 to 25 people and like more interviews than that because we talked wow. a couple of times because I want, I'm a reporter. I want all yeah. the information <laughs> I can get my hands on. And I mean, I have all that. I use quite a bit. But of course, there's obviously <laughs> out of God knows how many pages of transcripts that I left behind. So it was the finding that balance of letting the art just shine. And there are like over 700 pieces of art in that book. So it's got it doesn't it doesn't need my words. (laughs) It's the star. So it was trying to, trying to dig in and hopefully provide a little more context than just has already been out there, you know, because a lot of press obviously happened when the lands both opened on each coast. And I didn't want to repeat that. There's going to be some overlap, but I tried to get new stories, new memories and Try to speak with everyone from like the gentleman who designed fonts for the land and made up, you know, kind of a new font for Arabesh to make it look more fitting yeah. to, you know, the bigger, like to the Doug Changs and Scott Trobridge's and, and Eric Eric Tiemans. Oh my gosh, what a genius about their influences and about, you know, kind of the big picture of, of what Batu would look like. So it was complicated. And I had to rein myself in quite a bit as I went but I had a wonderful editor who's done a million of these books. So he, <laughs> he helped me out a lot.
0: It is really interesting to think about that balance of not doing a full behind the scenes sort of story of how the place was made, but instead focusing on the art. But you do need a little bit of the behind this because knowing the artist's motivation is so interesting. God, I'm I'm <laughs> like getting anxiety thinking about trying to rent it in myself. Cause I'm always the kind of person, my first edit is four times longer than the whole thing's supposed to be, you know? <laughs> But it, it is so cool. Like the pictures, yeah, the, the, the art speaks for itself. But I love when Doug Chang or Phil Shostak or Ryan Church or any of those folks post on Instagram and just any caption, I'm like, ooh, what, what are they going to say about it? You know, it's, it's so exciting. I don't want to just see a picture. I do, I do want to hear about their motivation and where they were coming from because we all know what George was influenced by. So to see what this generation is influenced by and what they're pulling from George and what and all the layers, it's just so cool.
2: I agree. And it was really such a like treasure. Like I did Eric Timmons, like his his work is throughout the book, and he's a concept design supervisor at Lucasfilm. And just anytime we talked, which was a, a few times I think, just gave me many art history lessons. And to look at like, okay, I'm used to Star Wars, but I don't think about like Galaxy's Edge being influenced by 18th century Italian painters, for example. Yeah. So any time I could pull insight, because. It was tricky. Like I did overviews, then the book was put together, and then I went back and with interviews and did screen share. This was because it was all during pandemic times, and being like, "Hey, like here's an image. Tell me about it." Um, yeah. Slightly more finessed than that, but that was the <laughs> right. gist. And I just could have done that for so like every page in the book. Yeah. If time would have permitted.
1: When you got, what I'm assuming is a treasure trove of concept art. And at that point, you've been probably once or twice or more to Galaxy's Edge, right? Yes. So was there anything that you saw in the early concept art that was like kind of impressed you? The way either it changed or how it was just what was in the concept art? Like once you were in Galaxy's Edge?
2: Oh, just all across the board. I One thing that I love that did not actually make it into the park but the concept art like really just caught my eye immediately was this Explorer shop that was going to be operated by a Trandocean and like other proprietors, you you probably never would see him, but it was like a space REI and I'm a very like casual outdoor person. Like I like hiking. I like camping. I don't need that much, but you put me in an REI, I'm going to find at least 10 pieces of gear I must have to survive my two nights of car camping. Um, So seeing the concept art for the Star Wars version of that and – I talked to, I believe, Rick Lim about designing and just kind of how they were imagining what the walls would be filled with and how they would kind of translate this idea of, yeah, if you were going to go on, like, out into the wilds of Batu on expeditions, what would you need? And what would that look like in the context of Star Wars? Like that concept art, super cool. Yeah. <laughs> super cool. And, yeah. and it's not in the park, maybe one day. But what a fun idea. like And I just like knowing that they thought, they just, in that blue sky phase, just throw it all out there. Mm-hmm. and I think that was kind of too like the scope of it clearly. I just like because I just did get that access to a digital treasure drove of I don't know of seven hundred pieces made in the book over seven hundred. there were probably thousands of images oh. and that was a lovely <laughs> several afternoons I feel <laughs> like just like, Clicking on next on my my 13-inch laptop screen, <laughs> which I later, I'm like, I need a second monitor. Yeah. I need to plug one in just for this book.
0: You've mentioned more than once now how just how many pieces there are. It blows my mind the pace at which artists on this level crank out stuff that is like the best thing I've ever seen. Everything <laughs> they put on paper or on their yes. iPad is the best thing I've ever seen. Doug Chang talked about even, you know, Doug Chang, the, the living God that he is talked about being intimidated by younger artists as well. I saw one of his talks or he did a, it was sort of like a workshop on just how he does art. He created a droid like on the spot, you know, at Star Wars Celebration. And he talked about the younger artists that'll crank out like seven of these in a day, you know, seven entire scenes, you know, they'll block out a whole thing. And I don't understand how that's possible. Did you did you talk to any of the artists about that? Like the, how they managed to crank out that much? Because I'm, I'm sure- Lucasfilm wants them to, you know, they they want quality, but they also probably want a lot of quantity, right?
2: Something that came up a couple of times from from Scott Trowbridge and from Crest Imagineering, and someone else too. They uh, multiple people referenced they'd be just having a meeting, talking about ideas, and Eric Timmons would be over there in the corner just sketching. And at the end, he'd be <laughs> like, "This." And they're like, "How did you? Pull, <laughs> that's exactly what we wanted." And we just like, "This has been thirty minutes. Like, what yeah. are you?" So that was kind of the only context that came up in. But in talking, another one was Rick Lim. And he's an incredible concept artist. And he's based, or at least at the time of when he was working on Galaxy's Edge, which was years ago. And I was asking all these people, by the way, like, you remember that piece of art you created back in, I don't know, 2016? What was going through your head? Um, uh, My memory doesn't work that way. Rick Lim, anyway, was working in Singapore at the time. So a talk about how he'd get notes overnight from Doug or Eric and, like, send back, like, a couple of pieces for them to look at. And they you know, were just on opposite time schedules. And just by the sheer amount of... Because I could, you know, some of the artists, like, would they have signed their concept art in the bottom. Others, it's just in the... It was in the file names. And that's how I could tell who to credit. So just by the sheer number of file names with our limb, and I forget what... They all had three, like three initial like abbreviations has might've just been Rick R.I.C. Right. like, you, you did so much for this <laughs> book. Like, it's just hard for me to wrap my head around and, and his stuff. Certainly, you know, Eric did a lot of sketches, which are in the book and uh, rendered pieces as well. But Rick limbs are largely like full color, digital, like Gort, I'm like, well, yeah. how do you do this? <laughs> I, I mean, I know what's your job and you're a professional. Like I I understand, but Also
0: how? (laughs) One thing Doug Chang mentioned in that talk or that that workshop was a lot of most I I I guess the majority of the younger artists either are familiar with or primarily use three D rendering where Doug's just you know, he he's drawing digitally, but it's it's two D. It's just I mean, it might as well be paper and ink or paper and paper and pencil. I would imagine that the three D rendering process, once you know that software as well as you know Photoshop or anything else, really expedites the process. And, you know, those tools, you you pull in assets that you have. And did anyone talk about that process, the the tools they were using? I'm
2: trying to think back. I don't think so. I feel like most folks were traditional. If anyone talked about process, it was Eric talking about doing his really rough, quick sketches, especially when they did research trips to um, Marrakesh or Casablanca and how they took a million photographs, of course, but that he would sketch things as they went to capture. But I, I feel like, I and I know it's probably not true, but I feel like most people, uh, most artists used 2D digital. Interesting. Um, I think Christian Osman has some 3D rendered droids for Galaxy's Edge and for Star Cruiser. Yeah. But we didn't get into process too much.
1: I feel like, uh, I think it's Women of the Galaxy. There was a bunch of artists used, right? for each where did you have a hand in picking them out or was that more on the like the publishing side or editor I'm not sure how that works
2: um a little bit of all three because cool. we had 18 artists which is awesome and mm-hmm. I was really grateful Lucasfilm kind of let you know we had well I should know the 75 characters it's been a minute <laughs> uh, that are in that book and they kind of let artists keep their own individual style like of course like Padme's gonna look like Padme but they didn't like make anyone stay on a on a certain model, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I recommended some artists because I just, uh, I know them from Instagram and they either done maybe like uh, the Star Wars tops trading cards. So Mm -hmm. they've kind of worked with Lucasfilm before, or they had done fan art and we kind of all brought that, like the assistant editor knew some artists, Lucasfilm recommended some artists, of course. So they all kind of all came together that way.
1: That's great. Speaking of that book too, I, you know, it's mostly, I would say, you know, a page or so right up on the character, but then you have Leia and Ray, who get, you know, two or three, you know, same thing Padme was there like, a, did you have trouble maybe even filling out one page for some of those characters? And then someone like Leia is like, how do I fit it in three pages?
2: <laughs> yes. And yes, <laughs> yeah. because we included, you know, such a variety and we, mm-hmm. and we, we stuck to the current, canon universe and we still we still cut out a handful of characters we just didn't bit in the book but when you have someone like cammy marstrap (laughs) who has largely only appeared in deleted scenes and in the radio drama a single page (laughs) is kind of hard to fill out same with like (laughs) Baru. Lars was another one that i'm like yeah yeah well she did have a story and from a certain point of view a new hope Mm -hmm. so i got some information there and uh how many more maybe did that act do interviews back in the day (laughs) um so it was a struggle and then you get to like a leia or an ahsoka and it was a real trick of that book anyway not to just like be a wikipedia summary um, because that exists and that's great and that wasn't the purpose of the book but leia's done a lot Mm -hmm. and when you have a character like that who we've seen from teenage years of princess of alderaan to uh the sequel trilogy and Goodness knows how many comics and books in between. Yeah. It was... And I say Leia for last. Yeah. I was like, Leia.
1: Especially with someone like her, it's like, they're... I mean, she might be the only character that literally everyone, if you like Star Wars, knows, but... Then there's so much mortar because of novels and comics and all that type of stuff. So you don't want the, the write-up to be Wikipedia, but it would be a good, like, if my mother read it, you know, she'd be like, oh, I think I learned, you know, four or five things about Leia instead of just the original trilogy.
2: Yeah, that's my hope. And I really wanted to, like, reference for the different characters the novels and comics, too, because I... I love reading that stuff and, and the animated series and I it comes from a selfish place of like I want I want everyone to watch the animated series yeah, yeah. and read the novels and comics. So
1: Yeah, that's that's kinda where we come from, right? Like we we just covered the yeah. Clone Wars for eight weeks straight, basically. And oh, wow. it's just about making people who listen to us whom whether they're, you know, a novice or an expert, Star Wars, like everyone, if you like it even a little bit we open the door for a wider, you know, a wider love of it. Cause I mean, we're just not, we're not on the, the hater tip when it comes to star Wars, you know, it's like, we're, we're here to be a, a positive force. And sadly, and that's just not how the internet works. That type of stuff doesn't get you clicks, but we're, we're doing what we do here and it's fun. But I mean, I, you know, especially women of the gal women of the galaxy, like that was my biggest takeaway when I was reading it, I was like, wow, like, you know, four or five paragraphs about, you know, yeah, Baru, I was like, that probably was tough. And then I was like, Leia, three pages is
0: like not enough. How do you no. <laughs> Yeah. How do you balance that? Did you feel any pressure given the fact that we lost Carrie Fisher and we all knew you know, the book came out and I'm sure you were writing it far enough in advance that no one had any idea what was going to happen in what would become the rise of Skywalker? But did you feel any pressure to kind of I don't know, fill in what you would what you would figure, what you would think might be the kind of the untold bits?
2: Yeah, it was really, I kind of did that for Ray too, um, just because I turned in my first draft of the book, minus the solo stuff and Star Wars Resistance, like the week that Last Jedi came out. So I'd kind of had like, all right, I need to see what Leia does in The Last Jedi. And is that right? Yeah, the book came out October 2018. So seeing The Last Jedi kind of helped me, Dylan, okay this is where leia is in this film and you kind of have to like it it is carrie fisher and the book too was not just about the characters but when i could bring it up and wait, it made sense to bring it up like certainly with carrie fisher uh the actors who played them or voiced them and just someone like the tremendous impact they've had on fandom and right. on fans around the world not just women and, and people of all ages, you know. So that was another reason why I was like the Leia one was last. Because it's like, it's not just Leia. Like, it's Carrie Fisher and her yeah, legacy. Yeah. And that's pretty big. So I really had to write it in kind of an open-ended way. Yeah. Because they certainly were not, no one was going to give me any kind of um, whatever they might have known then about Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I kind of had to leave it open-ended and just kind of be like, oh, she's going to keep fighting for the resistance and thinking yeah. in some way. and. Mm-hmm really leaning into hope, even when it's all absolutely terrible. And there were like, I don't know, 20 of them left at the end of Last right. Jedi, yeah, yeah. you know? So, but that was uh, daunting <laughs> to say the least.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine. Cause she, I said this a million times on the podcast. She's such a maternal figure for me. And I think for so many Star Wars fans for the franchise. And like you said, she's, you know, as known as any other character, to anyone of any age any interest in star wars or, or not so she's she's just like, she's like a figurehead you know and, and being gone now i don't know there there aren't words to describe what she is for me and for everyone uh who cares about this this universe
2: oh and it it was a such a small thing but we dedicated the book to her which made me mm-hmm. that's, made that's me great. really happy yeah that's
1: yeah i'm repeating myself to podcast listeners but i'll say it since amy's here like in my adult life, Leia is my favorite Star Wars character. You know, growing up as a kid, uh, you know, I was born 1980. Obviously, Luke Skywalker is going to be my guy. It was It was odd to me when Han Solo became the guy. I'm like, what do you mean, Luke? Luke's the guy, you know? And then, yeah. like, as an adult, I'm just like, you know what? Every single male Skywalker has kind of—their path has been wobbly. Leia— Straight through, you know, leader, powerful, got things done. And I'm in my adult life. I'm like, that's, that's the Skywalker. Leia is my favorite. Hell yeah. I
2: just have warm, fuzzy Leia feelings
0: now. (laughs) I love you. I know. Speaking of, so I love you. I know our favorites section. We had Amy prepare her five favorite Star Wars scenes or quotes of all time. Or both. Or both, yeah. Yeah, mix and match. (laughs) So do you feel confidently enough to list these in reverse order to give us the number one at the end of the five? Yes. Awesome.
2: Okay, the fifth is a quote. If all you do is fight for your own life, then your own life is worth nothing from the amazing Harrison Dula in Star Wars Rebels.
0: That's great. Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: It's great, the end. Uh, (laughs) No, I really (laughs) love Star Wars Rebels. And, you know, I think Hera, when she tells that to Ezra, who's just a baby Padawan okay. yeah. <laughs> trying to find his way and and has been kind of, you know, uh, not sheltered on Lothal because he's he's an orphan. Kid's been through some uh, stuff yeah. and it's not what I was going to say, <laughs> but doesn't really have this experience of the broader world and, mm-hmm. and why they're doing what they're doing. So Hera, who's this, I think, just an incredible maternal figure in Star Wars, which... There are some of, but not enough of, in my opinion. Agreed. And just to have her, like, sit down and explain that and just, you're like, she's not BSing. Like, she's not, like, that's just Hera. Like, that's what she believes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think it's really beautiful and very applicable to life. Because if all you do is care about yourself, then I don't think that's super exciting or a nice way to live. So...
1: Yeah. Not helpful yeah. for the whole. And Ezra Ezra, definitely is someone who needed not only Kanan and, like, the Jedi father figure sense, but then he needed Hera also. You know, he needed that knowledge of it's not all going to be uh, Jedi tricks, you know. It's going to have to be some thoughtfulness and, and leadership like Arrow would provide.
2: Yeah, I just finished a rewatch of that recently, and
1: we almost we almost went straight from eight weeks of Clone Wars into four weeks of Rebels, and we were like, uh,
2: let's, <laughs> uh, let's take a break, let's take a
1: break, because then it would have been straight into Bad Batch, and we were just like, uh, let's do some other like, fun, like other fun stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, if you're down when we do Rebels, whichever is your favorite season, if you want to be a guest for a breakdown, we'd love to have you. Yeah, I would love that.
2: Definitely love the last Rebels. season. Yeah.
1: I definitely don't. As I say this, I definitely don't pit Clone Wars or Rebels against each other, but every now and then I'm just like, do I like Rebels more than Clone Wars? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think I
1: might like Rebels more.
2: I still love Clone Wars more. And when Rebels started, I was very like, mm, you're not Clone Wars. Like, yeah. I didn't <laughs> yeah. know. Then I was like, oh, well, I was wrong. You're a terrific show and I'm sorry. Totally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's, I'm never going to ask someone what they like more, but every, I just will have that thought to myself and I'm just like, shut up, Nick. They're both awesome.
0: <laughs> 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 all right, Amy, what's your number four?
2: Number four is Never Tell Me the Odds by Han Solo. And that is because i it's such a hallmark of his character to be that competent and that cocky and just full of swagger that's like, I'm just going to do this. I don't need you to sit here and tell me whether it's going to work. Mm-hmm. I just need to take action. And as someone who overthinks things <laughs> quite a bit on uh, all the time, like that quote speaks to me as far as like no just just do the thing. Yeah. And don't like sit here and think about every possible outcome that could happen cuz then you'll never do it and also you don't know.
0: Yeah. That that makes so much sense. Then that speaks to me so your interpretation of that really is like nailing me right in the the spot of my brain that has OCD and ADHD all mixed together. <laughs> it's just like, dude, just do it. Just sh- just shut the hell up and just do just the thing.
2: Do the thing. I'm thinking about now the things that I should be doing that are on my list. I'm like, just, just do that thing. It's just, yeah. that's a later Amy problem.
0: <laughs> all right. Number three.
2: Number three is uh, Qui-Gon because Qui-Gon is my favorite Jedi. Underrated. Truly underrated. And Man, I'm glad we got more of him in Master and Apprentice. But when he tells little Anakin, "Always remember your focus determines your reality," I know that's like a go-to popular quote. But I think it's kind of a good life motto.
1: Yeah, fits in that mindfulness area. I feel like oh, you know,
2: yeah, Qui Gon's like a walking like every nearly everything he says. I'm like walking mindfulness lesson. So helpful for the Jedi mind. Thanks, Qui Gon. <laughs> Uh, But that particular just really stuck with me. And it's something like I, I think of not on a daily basis, but definitely a couple times a week week when I'm just spiraling about something (laughs) and and probably being negative and be like, okay, are you bringing the negative? Like, is this a negative thing or are you just bringing your own baggage to it and putting that spit on it? Right.
0: That's so relevant right now in the world. It's...
1: Yeah,
2: And just the word focus
1: to me. It's like there's so much to be distracted with. And going to like what I said earlier about like really never having a schedule. It's like, well, it's just I get distracted easily because I don't have any like an end point to focus on a lot of
0: days. So I'm just like,
1: what, 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 what's going on? Okay, I'll do yeah. this now.
0: <laughs> all right. Number two, Star Wars quote or scene of all time.
2: Okay, this, this one's going to be a scene. And it is the maul and ahsoka showdown in the final siege of mandalore episode
1: yes oh yeah
2: because specifically like when maul tells her about what he's seen and that came out long enough ago that it's not a spoiler anymore right yeah we just just
0: talked about yeah yeah. Yeah, there's so much that even if you say it right now when someone gets to that point they will have forgotten it so
2: (laughs) i relate to this um you know, when he talks to her about like, hey, I, I said he's seen this vision and, and kind of warns her about Anakin and their conversation, their fight, like that's beautifully choreographed. Oh. It's intense. And the music, because Kevin Kiner is amazing. That whole, it's up there. I mean, clearly I'm putting it like number two, like as far as it, uh, being up there with film. Yeah, um, totally. moments. totally. It's something I'm always like, just give the animated series a shot, please, everyone. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it is. I mean. On your list, obviously, and I would say objectively, it's just some of the best Star Wars period. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, I have a quote, as a matter of fact, on the season two DVD of Star Wars Rebels. Oh, that says that. Nice. Some of the best Star Wars storytelling.
0: I
1: mean, that's the other best animated uh, scene to me: Ahsoka versus
0: Vader and
2: Vader. Oh, gosh. Twilight of the Apprentice. Yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. Yep. Heavy stuff. All right, are you ready to tell the world your number one Star Wars scene or quote of all time? The entire world—we have seven billion listeners weekly.
2: Okay, <laughs> they better be ready for this. No, um, so I'm going back to quote. I'm going to a Yoda quote from The Last Jedi: "The greatest teacher failure is
0: real reality." Yes. What a scene! And I
2: have that one on a you know a message board, like by my desk, because I screw up. I don't know. We all do. We screw up all the time. And especially when it's bigger things, it's not fun. It's uncomfortable. Um, But we all do it. And it's a good reminder that that's just just part of being alive. And you know better next time, maybe. And plus it's Yoda in The Last Jedi. And I think that scene with Luke is just one of the best things in the sequel trilogy. And I, I mean, I love The Last Jedi as a whole film. But that scene in particular, like, ugh. Freaked out when I saw that in theaters.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. I feel like when I'm anticipating new Star Wars, I'm anticipating that feeling. You know, like watching that scene, having it be like learning, have it having it be emotional. Just an overall like that is what Star Wars is to me, and like I try to not have my expectations too high because then obviously you know in this day and age your expectations being too high ultimately you might get uh you know let down a little bit but that's what i chase in star wars is that feeling of that scene
0: it's it's just so so good
2: i'm just thinking about it and that i really want to watch last <laughs> yeah. jedi again
0: well let's um let's do one more little thing if you're down
2: mm-hmm.
0: a bit of a lightning round
2: okay i'm re- I'm i'm ready a major weapons test is imminent. Test Bay
0: 94. You may fire when ready. All right. Test Bay 94. We do either ors, favorite things, and would you rather.
2: Okay.
0: Either or. Light side or dark side? Light side. No hesitation. <laughs> Agreed. I
2: know where I stand. <laughs> I have a tattoo to prove it. It's great. What's your tattoo? Uh, that one's Rebel Alliance tattoo.
0: Same. Nice. Got the same. Oh, I have that too. I don't want to be left out. I also have that tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. Me too. <laughs> we haven't done this yet. Favorite Star Wars novel?
2: Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. I have to think about that one because there's less there's so many good star wars novels but that one was one of the early ones published i feel like in this new current storytelling universe and it's a story uh, that's kind of like a little i love romance first of all and it's it's a YA novel that has like flavors of romeo and juliet with uh, a girl and a boy or teenagers they grow up together on this kind of backwater planet they both join the empire one of them defects but then they're still like have all their history and they still love each other. But now one's with the Empire and one's with the Rebellion and it gets wow. intense. And, uh, uh, and Claudia Gray, like she's a wonderful storyteller. I have not been let down by any of her Star Wars books yeah. yet. But that's my favorite. And I really want Disney Plus to please make it into a limited series. Yeah,
1: that sounds great. I have not read that yet. I think the only book I've finished, I'm definitely a slow reader, um, but... Star Wars novels are the only novels I read, really. I don't know if that's good or bad for my life, but um, (laughs) Bloodlines I really loved. That was my favorite uh, novel, Star Wars novel that I've read. Um, And I actually just started Master and Apprentice, like literally just started it. I'm probably one chapter in, so I'm excited because I know she's great. And then Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan is going to make me real happy.
2: I'm excited for (laughs) you. Yeah. You're going to go on a journey. It's going to be amazing.
0: All right, would you rather, this one comes from the Discord from our friend Johnny Amazich. would you rather own a real-life lightsaber, but it only makes the Owen Wilson wow sound (laughs) instead of the lightsaber sound, or have a real-life X-Wing, but you can only fly it for five minutes at a time?
2: Oh, that was a little tougher, but I'm going to go X-Wing because I feel like I'm way too clumsy. And to be trusted with a real lightsaber that could cut off limbs or cut my house in half. Like, who knows? <laughs> yeah. um, so X-Wing with tiny flight times, which I also have a tattoo of. Same. Uh, An X-Wing. I love it.
0: With my Rebel Alliance symbol, I have two of them like like uh, sparrows. Oh, cool.
2: Nice. That's cool.
0: So X-Wings have hyper
1: drives, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. obviously. Okay. So wait a minute. I'm, I'm just trying to think. If you could drive it five minutes at a time, you could go pretty far. That's
2: I actually did not think that through. I was just like, X-Wing. But now I'm even more on board with that option.
0: Yeah. And it doesn't mean you can't, you can only fly it for like five minutes a day. You could fly it for five minutes and sit in space (laughs) for however long you're required to wait before you can fly it for another five minutes.
2: Mm -hmm. I think that's clearly the better option. (laughs) Yeah. My apologies to Owen Wilson.
0: Wow. All right. Um, We usually wrap, when we have a guest, we usually wrap with a little, uh, you know, a little guest segment, what are you doing right now? Kind of plug your new stuff thing, but we talked a lot about your new stuff. So actually here's a question. Do you, as, I mean, I I imagine as a writer, as a purist, you would prefer someone to go get a book in a bookstore and pick it up and have that experience. But do you, as also as a a younger person, as like a non-boomer, have any preference on where someone buys (laughs) your, your books?
2: I of course do love the bookstore experience, especially as a bookworm nerd. But there's this great website called bookshop.org. So you can order online and it supports independent bookstores. And that's the main thing. I just want to support the, I mean, obviously buy the bookstore where you can buy them. I don't like do what you got to do. Not everybody has access to an independent bookstore. A lot of people have prime memberships and want to use them. I support it. But bookshop.org is great. And your local indie store, more stores, Then previous to the pandemic, more indie stores are doing online orders or pickup than they were in the past. So always good to check that out.
0: Awesome. One thing that we don't usually do when we have a guest is close with a quote, but we're going to this week. Oh, boy. And this quote goes like this. Minds constantly measure everything against how we think things should be. But what is our source of this condition of should? Why that and not something else? Having preconceived ideas can block us from absorbing new information. That was written by none other than our guest, Amy Ratcliffe, in Star Wars Jedi Mind, Secrets from the Force, for balance and peace. Nice.
2: It did take me a second. I was like, that sounds familiar. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. As a science nerd and a skeptic and a a critical thinker that speaks to me on that level, and also just as a person who's trying to be a better person as I grow, it speaks to me. It's great stuff. Well done.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. That's really nice to hear.
0: I mean, all of your books make great gifts, but if you're
1: in a bind, you know, that Je- Jedi Mind's a nice little book, make a good little gift for a, a stocking stuffer or something like that. I highly recommend that one. Especially someone like I've only really started to practice mindfulness in the last, you know, year or so. We had actually, we had James Arnold Taylor on and he's, he's someone who practices uh, mindfulness too. So I feel that there's obviously... You wrote a book about it called The Jedi Mind. There's a lot of parallels of being a Jedi and being mindful and all that. So it's really cool and will make you love Star Wars even more and just be like, my calmness is a Jedi trait.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I was like, why didn't I put that in the book? Um, Thank you both for kind words. I'm really proud of that one. My favorite (laughs) book to write, actually, that I've written. Great.
0: Sweet. Well, if people want to find you on social media, where can they find you?
2: Folks can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy underscore geek.
0: Appropriate and easy to remember.
2: <laughs> yes. Much easier to remember than my last name. So <laughs> just stick with that 2009 decision forever.
0: <laughs> for listeners looking for the podcast on social media, you can find us on Instagram at ThankTheMakerPod, on Twitter at ThankTheMaker. Fun fact, at least half of the listeners of this podcast are not subscribed. So if you're one of those people, press subscribe in your podcast podcast. App of choice. And if you have questions for the podcast, you can hit us up on social media for the shorter ones. But if you want to ask us longer things or be involved in AMAs or get access to our Discord server and do other cool things that we have coming up, this week on the after show segment, we're talking about an idea that we have for uh, future episodes, some future fun stuff to do with patrons. To get access to all of it, patreon.com slash thank the is the place for that. And all of my stuff is at AdamTheSkull.
1: And all my stuff is at Nick Bayside. Uh, definitely follow me. By the time the next podcast drops, I will have been in Galaxy's Edge on May the 4th. So definitely follow me uh, and, and watch me have fun so
0: and cry mm-hmm. and have more fun and a couple of beers probably. <laughs> and also, we have new merch at com. Oh, yeah. We have a new shirt that I'm so pumped about. Amy, are you familiar with the campaign to investigate, hashtag investigate Endor?
2: I'm not. I'm intrigued. Uh,
0: we started talking about this when we did the Return of the Jedi episode, I don't know, sometime early last year. You ever wonder how the Ewoks had a woman's dress that just happened to fit Leia just laying around in a village full of tiny little bears?
2: It is pretty suspect.
0: <laughs> yeah, they ate that lady. That's where that dress came from.
2: <laughs> they are murder bears. So. Yeah, they're murder yeah. bears.
0: <laughs> so there's been a meme going around. It's the Burton Ernie meme where uh, <laughs> one of them's talking, the other's like laying with his eyes open like, oh my God. And it has gone viral in the past, like, week. And we just happened to have a merch design lined up that we'd been dragging our feet and putting out. So now it's out because the world is asking, <laughs> where did that dress come from?
2: So What really happened?
0: <clears throat> well, maybe you
1: could uh, get a short story in uh, A Certain Point of View, Return of the Jedi, and you could write
2: that story.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs>
2: I love this, like, but uh, but like true crime style. That's yeah. yes. how I would
0: do. I'd listen to a whole season of, of like serial about that if there was a Star Wars version.
2: One hundred percent, yes.
0: I love that. Uh, talk to the folks and make it happen. <laughs>
2: I'm just, I will call up my friend. Uh, you can't even say like George Lucas anymore because he doesn't. But you know yeah. what I mean.
0: Call up Kathy and, and make some moves. On it. All right. Well, Amy, again, thanks for being here. Thanks, Amy.
2: Thank you all. This was really fun. Thanks for having
0: me. Everybody, thanks for listening. And until next time, may the Force be with you.